On a snowy day at Lambeau Field, the Green Bay Packers kept their playoff hopes alive with the win over the Houston Texans. To break down the game, we're joined by Jay Sorgi of 620 WTMJ and the Packers Radio Network. It's all coming up on Railbird Central next. Central at Cheesehead TV. I'm your host, Brian Caravu. We're talking some Packers football this morning. We're talking about a win over the Houston Texans. To do that, we have a guest joining us on the phone today. Trying to get a soundbite playing here. Expert interview. There we go. We have Jay Sorgi of W6YWTMJ and the Packers Radio Network joining us this morning. Jay, how are you? Doing all right yourself. Very good. We're glad you could join us on the show. We've had others from the Packers Radio Network on on the show before. We've had Greg Matzik. We've had Jeff Falconio. And I, I like to start because it, it's such a production the day of a game. I mean, with the pregame to the game to the postgame, it's like, I don't know, what are you guys on, like eight hours? Can you tell us your role on a day like that and, and, and what you do when, during a typical day of a game? Well, specifically, the on-air role that I have is a uh, is a pregame segment that goes back into Packers history, our Packers replay segment, which is really a chance to look back at something connected to that individual game or something that has to do with the time in itself of the Packers. And this year, for example, you're hearing a lot of pieces that have to do with the 20th anniversary of the 1996 Super Bowl championship team, the 50th anniversary of the Super Bowl one team. We did something with that yesterday about Vince Lombardi's secondary of Herb Adderley, Willie Wood, Tom Brown, Bob Jeter. Was that among the greatest in the history of the game? And looking back at, at those things. And then on game day itself, uh, I, your role with uh, Chiefs at TV and my role with uh, WTMG are actually pretty similar in terms of running our digital operations throughout the game. Um, I'll be at some home games, for example, some of the ones that we've had. We actually get on-field pregame access uh, to the field as well as going out to experience what the tailgate party is. And we all know what that what that is, any fan that goes to a game. But also the perspective of what's it like, for example, for the visiting team uh, fans to encounter Lambeau Field for the first time. Do they get to experience it as the shrine that it is, if you will, for pro football fans and their interactions with Packers fans and really get a feel for how, even in that, Lambeau Field is a special place with how they embrace visitors. And then it's the game itself, sharing social media and all our reporters on either on scene or as part of a broadcast, everyone from Wayne Larrabee uh, on down to the lowest of the totem pole myself, if you will. Uh, but really sharing the perspectives as things are happening. 
Well, I, I think the history thing you do before the game is really cool. I mean, it's 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 a special franchise. It's the history that makes it what they are, and I think that kind of adds to the, uh, uh, I'm not sure the word I'm looking for here, but adds to the historical milieu of the uh, Green Bay Packers, and uh, I think it's really cool. But you want to discuss yesterday's game, Jay? Sure, absolutely. Okay, so yesterday's game against the Texans, uh, we got to start with the weather. I mean, how much of an impact do you think that alone had on the game? You can look for one touchdown pass as a perfect example. In any sort of a football game where you've got snow falling and it's on the ground on a slicker surface, whenever you have weather that, that's a slicker surface, the one the, the player who knows exactly where they're going is going to have the advantage because – they know where they're running to. They don't necessarily have to automatically adjust and cut back and not realize what's going on and all of a sudden be in position to slip. So the touchdown pass to Jordy Nelson that went deep was caused by slippage by a Houston Texan because the Texan was trying to react to what Jordy was going to do. Jordy knows where he's going. And I think it, it sounds crazy, but because of that element, a big play passing game can sometimes be more effective in snow than in normal conditions because you know where the football's going and the opponent doesn't. At the same time, what you saw a lot of was failure in cutback running opportunities in, for example, the outside run, those third and one calls that Mike McCarthy used with outside runs that just didn't work because the defender is swarming right to a place where you've got to cut back the defenders aren't going to cut back their beelining right for you. So it affects the type of play calling that you make. But if you know what you're doing, and especially if you put something in where you know where your players are going, it can be a big-time advantage. It was on that touchdown that gave Green Bay the lead for good, that bomb to Jordy Nelson. I mean, you just alluded to him. How impressive was his performance considering the elements on Sunday? It was especially impressive considering not just the elements, but the fact that when you've had the kind of injuries he's had, his knee injuries, that is was really the first time that he's played in bad weather on those knees. And there's an extra bit of, am I going to be able to handle this normally that you don't have? It was what he was experiencing early in the season just in general, and we all know about his lack of productivity up to the last couple of weeks. So for him to have that kind of a breakout game that he's been really waiting to have, I think says something. How about the man distributing the football, Aaron Rodgers, and how important it was for him to generally play keep away from the Texans, at least with the pass? I know he had the fumble early in the game. Uh, He did a fantastic job of, and you hate to use these words when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, managing the football game because you have to manage things when you're in snow and you're not going to get big time productivity when you know that you have to have a lot of extended handoffs and short passes, especially when the running game, which green Bay has had for a while, has been struggling. That means a lot more of the very short pass opportunities. For example, there was a portion of the first half where he had nine completions for 57 yards. That's not exactly huge statistics, (laughs) but he realized that he had to dial things back a little bit until he had the opportunity to go deep and find open receivers, which went later on in the game. And let's also not forget that he did that against the NFL's coming into the game, fifth-ranked defense. So it wasn't necessarily gaudy stats for Rodgers, 
but he did what he had to do to put the Packers in position to win. Yeah, a game management type of uh, performance from Aaron Rodgers on Sunday, but we're talking to Jay Sorgi of 620 WTMJ here at Railbird Central on a Monday morning. Jay, uh, running back, who do you think is the Packers' primary running back moving forward? It, it seems to be a position in flux. <laughs> I think the guy's name is Committee. <laughs> it's basically a point right now where they really are still searching for a consistent back on a very regular basis. You saw Kristen Michael make plays in spurts. You saw Ty Montgomery make plays in spurts on Sunday, as he has done in particular points throughout the year. But you don't want to ask someone with Montgomery's body type to bang for 20 plays a game. And Michael doesn't necessarily know the offense well enough yet and we've seen James Starks's productivity dwindling to the point where he had less than half a yard per carry yesterday on his four carries just one yard and it just had a bad day if you will and there are points where Starks has had some good performances at least in spurts throughout the year but there's no consistent guy right now whom you can lean on so it's as if Okay, let's see what he can, what this guy can do first quarter. Let's see what he can do second. Let's see what he can do third. And is there someone we can ride for the rest of the game? And I think part of that too is going to have to be bringing them in at different times and using different packages. Maybe some plays. Montgomery's the guy that you hand the ball off to and then split him out wide on a few times. Maybe they do the same thing with Cobb, and they have Michael in the backfield still in some circumstances. It's as if they they really have to go by committee at this point. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out here coming up the final month of the season. Uh, but if we turn to the defensive side of the football, what what do you make of the Packers' defensive effort? What, was it a good play by the defense on Sunday, or was it a poor effort by Brock Os- Osweiler and company? How do you kind of justify things? I think you had a balancing act. Brock Osweiler's not going to be winning Super Bowls anytime soon, number one. But at the same time, there are certain individual Packers whom you can give massive credit to and I think Morgan Burnett especially particularly for his first half last uh, on Sunday was just ridiculous when you've got a half that you have a fumble recovery and you advance it big time to get into scoring range you stop two or three drives either with big time pass pressures or by tackling out in space where if you don't make the tackle it's a big game those are the kind of plays that that can define a Pro Bowl-level kind of player. And Burnett hasn't been that all year long. He was that in that first half, for example. Um, at the same time, yes, that Packers defense was not exactly facing a juggernaut. They were getting dashed at times in the run game. But again, Houston's running game is among one of the best in football when they're at their best. So I think it, it was a bit of a balance. I think they did well to come out with just 13 points given up. There's still a lot of strides that they have to make, and I think they're going to have to make real quick with Seattle coming to town. We all saw what they did last night against Carolina. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the story was on Clay Matthews on Sunday? Was was the health the reason for his relative ineffectiveness, or what was it? I think they realized that they had to put Matthews in the middle just very simply because of an injury during some portions of that game, especially particularly during the time when Jake Ryan was out and without Blake Martinez in the lineup. And there was a lot that they, that they were asking Matthews to do is if he would, they had to take a fantastic player when he's at his best out of what he loves to do best, which is why we, he's wanted to play outside for so much. At the same time, 
and I'm exaggerating when I say this, but you, you ever try and do a lot of acti- physical activity when you feel like your arm's falling off? <laughs> That's sort of like what Clay Matthews is going through right now with his injury, with a shoulder injury. And I think just for him to gut it out the way that, that he has and at least try and make some sort of an effort to make defenses think about him, even if he's not supremely active because of that injury, I, I, I think just give him credit for that. But he's not going to be performing at 100% of his capability at this point. Uh, before we let you go here, Jay, uh, what what do you make of the Packers' playoff odds now that they're back to 500 and there's a month to go in the season, four games left? Do they beat Seattle Sunday? If they find a way to get that done, I think they're in really good position because certainly Chicago's beatable. Minnesota's definitely beatable at home. What you have to have is them trailing Detroit by a game going into that final matchup at Ford Field, and there are going to be at least two times, I think, where Detroit is going to be in prime position to fall. They, their last three games are going to be at the Giants, at the Cowboys, and then against Green Bay in that season ender on January 1st. If the Packers fall one more time, if they lose to Seattle, then Detroit's got to lose three in a row. Now, that's possible considering who, who that competition is. That is a brutal end-of-season schedule, but you don't want to have to lean on that to happen. So I don't see Detroit running the table before that January 1st game. If they get past Seattle somehow on Sunday, the Packers are in position. Yeah, going to be an important game. Uh, Jay, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Do you know what your feature is this upcoming weekend? Can you tease us? Is that something you work on this week? I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, we we want the ball, and we're going <laughs> to score. <laughs> I think I remember that game, uh, <laughs> and I know who that's in reference to. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate you giving us a little bit of time here on a Monday morning. Keep up the good work, and we'd love to have you on again sometime. And Ditto, you're doing great stuff over there. Thanks a ton. Take care. Jay Sorge of W620 WTMJ here at Railbird Central on a Monday morning, also part of the Packers radio network, the flagship of which is 620 WTMJ. Glad to have him joining us. Glad to have you, the listener, joining us as we continue on with the show. Packers news of the day. All right, so the Green Bay Packers beat the Houston Texans on Sunday. And uh, to wrap up that game, going to go through our post-game chips report, as we typically do here at Railbird Central the day following a game. And uh, two players in every category, your blue chip performers for this past Sunday, one of them, and I think the the easiest choice I had here, uh, was Jordy Nelson, uh, whose statistical line... Uh, if I could just kind of read it here, uh, eight catches, 118 yards, 14.8 yards per reception. He had a long of 32 yards and a touchdown, uh, which was really fantastic performance on Sunday, given the elements. Now, <laughs> I, w- I was at this game on Sunday, uh, the only game I attended in person all year long here in 2016. And I can tell you, this this was, I don't know if you sit there and watch on TV and you see the snow and, and you kind of wonder, well, it, you know, oh, they can play in the snow. It's no real big deal. 
this was a wet snow on Sunday. I, I'm not sure how much time the the announcers put into describing the game if you happen to watch it on TV. Uh, but, I mean, it, it was like rain, basically. Uh, it, it was that wet. Um, it, it might as well have been rain out there. It was, it was just cold enough to keep it snow. I mean, the, the, the temperature was hovering right around the freezing air, you know, area, 32 degrees or so, probably a little bit above that. Uh, so it's still, you know, when it's falling out of the sky, it's white. I mean, it's essentially rain, though, by the time it reaches the ground, just just very dripping wet. It, that makes it extremely difficult to move the football no matter who you are, no matter who is playing in this game. If it's the best team in the NFL versus the worst team, this was the great equalizer in this game was, was the precipitation. And points were going to be at a premium on Sunday. And all this is to say here, you know, getting back to, to Jordy Nelson, we've talked so many times now. He's essentially become a possession wide receiver in the NFL. And we never would have thought that years ago. Here's the guy who has so much speed and is able to beat teams deep. And he's not that type of player anymore. But in a game like this, when the elements were what they were, he was so valuable in this game because the possession of the football was was simply imperative. Uh, he he didn't beat many people deep at all this game in his eight catches, but what he did is you know reliably caught the football many times using his body to block out the defender to make contested catches, and that was what kept the Packers in business on Sunday. That kept the chains moving. This was one of the best performances I've ever seen out of Jordy Nelson, even though there wasn't that, that type of play where he busts, busts a long one. And that's what you think of, you know, normally when you, when you think of Jordy Nelson and, and him having a big day, that's what you think of, him breaking a long one. But that wasn't the case on Sunday. But this was all the more important in this type of weather. Uh, the type of game that he had, he was absolutely fantastic. Was one of the he was the best player on the field on Sunday. Uh, Aaron Rodgers did a nice job, like we said, managing the game. Uh, certainly didn't play poorly by any means, but but Jordy Nelson was it was kind of uh, the the security blanket for this game, and and really you know of course had the big touchdown. Uh, which was huge in in terms of the outcome of the game. So Jordy Nelson, far and away. Uh, your your first blue chip performer. The second one uh, goes uh, to the defensive side of the football. Cornerback Ladarius Gunter, who uh, again kind of continues this this trend all year long. It's not every week, but I, I mean, there's been weeks where he's been in the blue chip category. There's been weeks where he's been in the chow, cow chip category. Uh, this week he's a blue chip performer because you know really helped keep the Texans passing game under wraps. Uh, he was only thrown at twice all day long, and on both of those throws, he broke up both of them. Uh, so there was no completing passes in Ladarius Gunter's direction, uh, which was nice to see. I, I don't know whether they they looked at the depth chart or you, you look at the other cornerbacks and you see, oh, Demarius Randall and and Quentin Rollins, there's a, fir- a pair of uh, a first and second round draft pick. Why why don't we go test the undrafted rookie? But, you know, Ladarius, I don't know what the Houston Texans thinking or Brock Osweiler's thinking was, but 
whenever they tried to test Ladarius Gunter, he, he shut him down. Uh, and not only this, he also forced the fumble in the first quarter that was recovered by Morgan Burnett. And, and pardon me, give me a little leeway. I don't know, for some reason, I was actually after the game, you know, I, I'm there in person. When you're sitting there in a stadium, you don't always get all the replays. You get to see it once live. I have yet to watch the replay of the game. Sometimes the action's close to you where you're sitting. Sometimes it's far away. Give me a little leeway. I did hear something about Quentin Rollins forcing the fumble on the radio after the game. I didn't think that was the case. I could have swore that was Ladarius Gunter. I did confirm on the statistical sheet that he was there with the forced fumble. So I thought it was him. Regardless, I you know, his his pass coverage alone uh, makes it worthy of the the blue chip performance. So very good job by Ladarius Gunter on Sunday. So uh going along with Jordy Nelson, he gets a blue chip. Your red chip performers, the good but not great. Uh one of them goes to offensive lineman Lane Taylor, who I you know, I, I acknowledge here uh, part of this is uh, I gotten the information from ProFootballFocus.com, who you know, which we rely on heavily on the show here. Uh, he was the highest graded player on the Packers' offensive line, uh, but you know, I wanted to acknowledge his play because this is the type of game that Lane Taylor was made for. Uh, on a day when snow made it difficult to be efficient on offense, Taylor was a grinder. Uh, and, and most importantly, he kept the pocket clean, not allowing any sacks on the day. In fact, there, there was one play I remember in particular sticks out in my mind when he appeared to be pushed backwards on the slippery turf, but he still held his ground and, and stayed in front of his man and, and kind of really, you know, didn't allow it to be a factor, even though he got pushed backwards. And I think that's what made his play good on this day. Uh, because, you know, Lane Taylor, he's he's probably maybe the least athletic player on the entire Packers offensive line. Uh, all, all the other guys might be, you say, are more athletic than him. But on a day like this, in this weather, he was a grinder and, and really did well. And I mean, the whole offensive line, just, you know, as usual, as they've done all year long, this is one of the best pass-blocking units I've ever ever seen out of a Packers unit and Lane Taylor was part of that on Sunday but you know kudos to the whole unit um uh, that you know run blocking is something else I they're they're not a bad run blocking unit they're, they're not a good one either but the pass blocking fantastic and they, and that is remarkable considering you know the the guy who Lane Taylor is replacing Josh Sitton was a you know pro bowl all pro caliber performer uh, for so for them to basically do even better in the pass blocking department without a player like him in the lineup it is remarkable. So kudos to Lane Taylor. Uh, the the type of game he was made for <laughs> was was a, a game impacted by wet sloppy snow. Um, your other red chip performer. Uh, here's an interesting one. I'm going with Dean Lowry, the rookie fourth-round draft choice out of Northwestern. He made a sack, of course, on Sunday, one of only two the Packers had all day long. This was the first sack of his career. Uh, But not only that, he batted a pass in this game. 
Uh, so he was very productive in a limited amount of snaps. I, he didn't play a ton. I think he played 18 snaps this game. But consider this. This also came one week or one game, uh, considering you know that the last game the Packers played was Monday Night Football against the Philadelphia Eagles. He was active uh, uh, on on the you know 46 man game day roster in Philadelphia and didn't play a single snap uh, on defense or special teams for that matter. So Dean Lowry bouncing back here from a a, a game in which he didn't even get a opportunity to play, and it, it's not like he's played a lot all year long. There's there's been games where Dean Lowry gets a few snaps a game. Uh, just because, you know, guys like, you know, Mike Daniels and Latroy Guyon and, and the first rounder, Kenny Clark, they're they're all, you know, above Dean Lowry in the rotation. But but this was the best game of his young career, uh, really, you know, making an impact in this game. And, and it wasn't a huge impact by I mean, that, that's that's why he's in the red chip category and not the blue chip category. But a step in the right direction Hopefully continues to develop from here. Uh, just wanted to acknowledge his play on Sunday, which I thought was really good. So good job, Dean Lowry. Keep it up. Now your cow chip performers from this game. Uh, one of them goes to running back James Starks, who uh, Jay Sorgi kind of already alluded to his performance earlier on the show. Uh, James Starks finishes the day with one yard on four carries that is an average of less than one yard per carry considering he had one rush during the game of four yards so so that means he lost yardage on all the others uh so you know James Starks not helping out the offensive effort on this afternoon uh that afternoon uh he didn't add a single reception in the passing game uh, his impact was minimal on special teams. So, you know, uh, James Starks basically is looking like the man who's who's kind of falling out of favor. Like, And again, I mean, I yes, we're pointing out poor for performances for one game. This shouldn't ever be mistaken for, oh, let's cut him. Uh, you know, with, with guys, when you have Ty Montgomery, who's basically new to the position, and Christine Michael, who is new to Green Bay, you're not about to cut the most experienced running back on the roster. He's he's out there. He's reliable. He knows the entire offense. Uh, you know, if if anything would happen to the other running backs, James Starks could go out there and play the full game if he had to. Uh, and there's there's value to that. But as far as his performance goes, you know, on at least this particular Sunday. Just, just another, and what's been a, a poor season for James Starks. It's disappointing, you know. He's basically coming off one of the best seasons of his career in 2015 to have probably, I, I'm thinking without a doubt, the worst season of his career in 2016. Uh, and, and you know, it's he actually got a nice contract in the off season for his performance last year, and and not really living up to it at this point. So. Not a good day for, for James Starks. And the other goes to Clay Matthews. And uh, I take this with a grain of salt because part of it is not necessarily Clay Matthews' fault himself in that, you know, he's dealing with the shoulder injury. Just a few weeks ago, he had the hamstring injury. 
you could maybe blame this on the coaches in that maybe he shouldn't have been there out there at all. But but you know Clay Matthews was on the field for 26 snaps this game, and he did not even appear on the stat sheet whatsoever. He didn't have a single tackle. He didn't even have a quarterback hit, which is not even classified as a tackle, but he didn't make it in that statistical category either. Um, you know, he was basically ineffective at inside linebacker, eventually moved to the, it seemed for the most part, he kind of started off on the inside and then was moved to the outside in the game. You know, I can't, I didn't sit there every single play and look, oh, where is Clay Matthews lined up? Is he, is he moving back and forth? But in general, it seemed like he started on the inside, then moved to the outside. I realized they had some issues there because, Jake Ryan was back, and he actually did a good job this game, I thought. But then he kind of, you know, re-aggravated an injury himself, and they needed Morgan Burnett to play inside linebacker this game, and he did a good job. And and Joe Matthew, uh, Joe Thomas, once again held down the fort, which was great. Um, so that's how it went. We'll see, you know, what Clay Matthews' status is here going forward. Uh, he, cause you know, the Packers need him, but they need him to be healthy though. So I don't know if you hold him out or not. We'll see what Jake Ryan's status is after he kind of aggravated an injury, but that, that kind of leads us into the next segment here after we kind of got through the chips report the day ahead. Okay. So Mike McCarthy's press conference, um, on Monday. So the, the weekly post game press conference it's going to stream at 12 o'clock p.m. Central Time, so you can watch it over your lunch. As usual, stream live at Packers.com. Uh, maybe he'll have an update on Clay Matthews and Jake Ryan and whoever else was injured this game. Uh, meanwhile, the coordinators of the Green Bay Packers, they're going to speak at 4 p.m. Central Time, also stream live at Packers.com. So there will be plenty for Packers content for you to watch today and the aftermath of the win over the the Texans uh but beyond that uh here's here's also an interesting event that's happening on Monday uh Julius Peppers and Nick Perry they're going to sign autographs from six o'clock to seven o'clock p.m uh on Monday inside the Lambeau Field atrium for the Salvation Army that's something we've talked about on the show before the Packers do on a weekly basis during the holiday season from uh the run up to Thanksgiving all the way to uh to to Christmas. Uh they 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 every week somebody different is out there signing autographs in exchange you make a donation, they sign an autograph. You know, it's it's something good that the Packers do, you know, contributing to charity, uh donating their time to do this. The interesting part of here <laughs> here it is though is Nick Perry uh, is going to sign autographs. I, I'm, you know, he basically, he had to leave the game on Sunday because he hurt his hand and ended up finishing the game in a club cast. I believe it was his left hand. And I, I'm guessing Nick Perry is a rights with his right hand just because most people do. Uh, but in case he happens to be a lefty, uh, he's going to have a hard time signing autographs perhaps if if it you know, came to the point where he had to put a club, club cast on his hand. Uh, we'll see what happens there. That'd be interesting to see uh, what, what happens tonight at the autograph signing for, for Nick Perry. I, I, I hope the best for him. 
uh, because he's really been, you know, arguably he's been the best defensive player on the Packers roster this year in 2016. Um, so yeah, uh, it's unfortunate that he has this hand injury. I, I don't know how severe it is. If it just was something where he just had to get through this game and next week he'll be back to normal or it's going to stay several weeks like this because I don't think he's going to be as effective with the club on his hand, but we'll kind of see going forward. And again, maybe Mike McCarthy will have something to offer on this. But other than that, you know, it's uh, Mondays, always the, uh, the busiest day on the Packers talk show circuit. Uh, just some of the ones I've seen so far. Uh, the guest on time of Ty Montgomery on Clubhouse Live today is safety HaHa Clinton Dix. Uh, linebacker J. Roan Elliott is the guest on the game plan on WTCX and Fond du Lac. Um, it's Aaron Ripkowski's turn to host In the Huddle on the Woodward Radio Network. That's at Game Day uh, Sports Bar and Grill in Appleton on Monday evening. And Clay Matthews is the guest on Packers Live with Larry McCarron, which records live inside the Lambeau Field Atrium on Monday. Those are just a few of the uh, appearances by Packers players on a Monday. If you happen to live in Green Bay and you want to check out a, a talk show or, or the surrounding area, lots going on in, in Appleton as well. So there you go, folks. That's what's happening on a Monday, and uh, that's what's happening here at Railbird Central. That'll do it for today's show. My call to action, we are now less than a week away. Uh, I want you, I invite you to come out this upcoming Sunday December 11th, as the Packers take on the Seattle Seahawks, uh, it's official. The game is not going to be flexed. It would have been happened by now. So it will be an afternoon kickoff, 325 uh, p.m. Central Time. We'll be out at the Krogville Oasis in uh, South Central Wisconsin. Uh, I'm inviting you for a watch party. The, don't worry, there's no cover charge. I'm just inviting listeners of Railbird Central to come on out, watch the game, have a good time. That's all we're going to do, and we're going to do it uh, as a kind of uh, one particular place, the Krogville Oasis, a dive bar in south central Wisconsin, just a half hour uh, east of Madison, uh, around very near the cities of Deerfield, Cambridge, um, and uh, Marshall, uh, if you want to join us. So I, I encourage you to join us. So put that on your calendar. I hope to see you out there on Sunday. And uh, yeah, we'll have a good time. And that does it for today's episode. Thank you everybody so much for joining us. Thank you to Jay Sorgi of 620 WTMJ and the Packers Radio Network for being our guest on the show. Um, we'll see you on Wednesday when Nathan Yonke of ProFootballFocus.com will be our guest. Uh, we'll see you folks. I leave you today with a song called Mental Floss by Keller Williams on Psy Fidelity Records. See ya. Go Pack Go. 